you found a message that was delivered at Living Streams Community Church in McCordsville, Indiana. We are praying the time you invest hearing God's Word encourages you in your walk with Jesus and inspires you to share Him with others. If you want to learn more about us or send us a prayer request, visit our website, livingstreamscc.org. Thank you for listening. Hosea chapter chapter 4 is where we are. Conflict. You know, conflict is is just a part of our lives. I mean, it's everywhere we look, right? The the last night last night's news headlines had conflict in them. Sure politics has conflict in them. Our families, our churches, our schools, sports, even our fun, they're fighting. There's conflict everywhere. Case in point, Lakeville, Minnesota, a population of about 60,000. Every year they hold this annual celebration called the Panaprog, and it features Miss Lakeville's annual scholarship pageant, has beer, brats, and bingo, a carnival, and the always exciting and ever-controversial Baby Crawlathon. Emotions ran high when the 2015 winner, 10-month-old Berkeley Bailey, was disqualified Berkeley crossed the finish line as a clear winner, but moments later, organizers of the event stripped her of her one and only title of her young life. Judges ruled that she wasn't crawling right. You know, she was like pulling herself with her left side, but with her right side, she was raising it up in the arm with her arms. So, you know, they, they said, uh, you, you can't win like that. So Berkeley's mom, Samantha, she protested. She said that rule is unfair to babies that do not crawl normally. She said, that's the only way we've ever seen our baby crawl. We went to the doctor and he said, it's a crawl. It's a crawl. Give her the title. Now, Miss Niermeyer, she's the one who organizes the event. She had to talk about why, you know, this was a problem in the year previously. Uh, They had to make a rule about crawling because there was a baby who crawled more like a bear. And he was on his hands and feet. And she said, now you can really be a speedster. If you crawl like that. So they made it. They wanted it to be fair to everybody. So they had 2014, 2015 conflict at the baby crawlathon. But then 2016 comes around and there were some close calls. But everything passed. Everything went okay. And uh, Regan Ortega was the baby crawlathon champion, 11 months old. And there was no conflict. Now, if we're going to fight about stuff at the baby crawlathon, (laughs) we're going to run into conflict just about everywhere we look. And it's never easy when we do. But when we, when we handle it correctly, when we handle it respectfully, there's, there's always an opportunity to grow. Now, conflict with God is much the same. When we can work it out with him, it's always an opportunity to grow. It's an opportunity to grow deeper in our faith, deeper in our, in our love for him. And when it goes unresolved, the opposite happens. We have no peace with him, and, and our passion with God uh, begins to die. And so what we've learned in Hosea so far is that God is not going to leave us alone. When there is a conflict with him in our lives, he's going to pursue us until he can work that out with us as long as we live. I mean, he loves us. He loves you, and he wants you to know him, and he has good for you to do in the world for him. And so we've got to get things worked out. Now, the hard part about being at odds with God is that he is always right. <laughs> he's, he's always right. And so for us, uh, the path to... Resolving our conflicts with God goes through three steps, confession, correcting, and cooperating. 
I mean, that's basically the three steps to resolving conflict. So in Hosea chapter 4, God has moved on from that picture of Hosea's family and that illustrating, you know, how his people were, um, were behaving with him. And he's just getting down to some cold, hard facts now, you know. And so this is how you guys are acting. And so let's see if we can find any similarities in here with our lives with him and see if we can get to some resolving uh, conflicts if they are in our lives. But if if that's going to happen, we need help. I need some help. So let's pray this morning. Father, we come to you today and we're thankful, uh, thankful for this word that you've uh, given to us, preserved for us. And and, uh, really, God, as we look at uh, this chapter, it's it's just amazing how we can, can look at something that happened so long ago and see how it is working in our lives today. And so, Lord, we pray for your Holy Spirit to give us eyes to see and ears to hear and um, hearts that would be quick uh, to resolve our conflicts with you uh, today. And I pray uh, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so in verses 1 to 3 of chapter 4, God reveals that there's a controversy with the character of his people. So let's read them. Uh, Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel. For the Lord is a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love, and no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bonds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore the land mourns, and all who dwell in it languish. And also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and even the fish of the sea are taken away. So he gets going there in this chapter and he says, hey, people, I got a I got a problem with you. There is no faithfulness among you. There is no committed, persistent love among you. There's no one who knows me. Instead, it's violence. It's all violence. You're selfish promise breakers and gluttons. So instead of being known for your reliability and your integrity, for your kindness and compassion, for your walk with me, instead of being known for those things, you're killing and stealing and lying and betraying each other. And it's causing suffering. Causing suffering amongst you. You're languishing in the land. It's causing the land to groan. All creation is groaning because of the way you're acting, because of your character. So God is a controversy with their character. So the behavior is not what he wanted it to be. It is not what they wanted them to be known for because that's not what he is known for. Now Israel was supposed to be his representative in the world. They were his people. They were to be a holy nation of priests. And if you go back to that promise he made with them in Exodus uh, chapter 19, he was making that covenant. And he said, listen, if you follow me, this is what you're going to look like to the surrounding nations in the world. So this is who you'll be. And then we know that old covenant, it was deficient uh, because Israel couldn't keep up the demands of the law. They couldn't keep their end of the bargain. So instead of uh, them being able to do that, they drifted away from God. And over hundreds of years, uh, here we are in Hosea. So they're in conflict with God over their character. Now, that ought to sound somewhat familiar uh, to us as people who have believed in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We've been given the Holy Spirit to help us live out this life that he's, he's calling us to live. It's the same purpose, to represent God to the world. We're supposed to be able to do what Israel could not do. So we, have, we ought to ask ourselves the question, 
What are we known for? What are you known for in your life? What are we known for as, as a church? If, it, if it's not faithfulness and, and loving kindness, steadfast love, and, and walking with God, having a knowledge of God, if it's not that, guess what? We have a conflict with love. We have a conflict with love. Now, let's look at the list of things that God didn't want. He didn't want swearing, lying, murdering, stealing, adultery, and bloodshed. Now, it would be kind of easy for us to sort of, okay, wipe our, you know, forehead, you know, get the anxious sweat out there. I'm not really doing any of those things. I'm good. Uh, Well, maybe the swearing, we might do that every once in a while. But, you know, the rest of it, you know. We're free from this. But what we need to realize is that this list of sins is an adult list of sins. This is sin that is full grown. And every single one of them have an embryonic form of them that happens in our lives. Um, For instance, swearing grows out of speaking inconsiderate, thoughtless words. Okay, so Proverbs 24, 17 said, Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. So the embryonic form of profanity is thoughtless, inconsiderate words. Lying. Lying are words that come from insincere words in our life, where we're uh, speaking flattery or things, things like that. And Jesus pointed that out in John 8:55. And murder, it rises up from hatred in our lives, as 1 John 3:15 tells us. Malachi 3:8 and, and following talks about stealing from God and treating treating someone um, with cruelty, and it's God in that chapter. And Jesus told us in Matthew 5:28 that our lustful imaginings is just like committing adultery with someone else. And so when we start to look at these embryonic sins, we have to ask ourselves, do we speak a lot of words that, uh, that we aren't really thinking about? They're, they're thoughtless words. They harm. Um, do we speak words that we really don't mean? You know, is that happening a lot in our life? Do we treat people you know, kind of beneath us? Um, do we have sexual scenarios playing around in our minds with someone other than our spouse? So that this, this list of sins, it may be baby sins, but we've got to realize that uh, baby sins tend to grow up. <laughs> they tend to become full-grown, and when they f- become full-grown, they end up doing damage, and they, they cause all kinds of destruction in our lives. Now, this baby sin stuff, it, it, some of these things we can hide in our lives, and we're not known for them, but here's the thing. We can't hide them from God, so we ask ourselves the question, what are we known for in the eyes of God? What are we known for? Now, the first step in resolving conflict is confession. And so admitting that, you know what, I really look a lot more like Israel uh, there than the idea that God wanted Israel to look like. That, that's the first step in, in moving toward resolving the conflict. And, and then once we've confessed it and seen it, we move to correction. And that's really about repentance, and repentance in our lives. It's, it's really a, a turning around. It's a U-turn in your life. You were going one way. You see the problem and, and you, re, you do a U-turn and you start going the other uh, direction. 180 degree change in your life. Now, I, I believe all U-turns in God's eyes are good U-turns. Whether you do them for yourself or for him. Uh, because, you know, when you do it for yourself, you realize his way is better than the way you're doing it. And so, you know, you do a U-turn or it's 
something he shows you. He says, hey, this is the way, walk in it, and you're not walking that way, and you repent, and you go that way. Now, the difference is when God is initiating that repentance, it's a gift. It's something that kind of sticks around in your life. It lasts longer, and it becomes less of a struggle for you than if you do it um, in your own strength and in your own insight. Um, So thankfully, God has given us this list here that he wants us to be known for. So instead of stopping to try to try stopping doing all the bad stuff, what we want to do is we want to just sow the good stuff uh, in our lives because the two can't coexist in, in our life. If we're going to be faithful and loving and knowing God, we're not going to be doing these these other things. So um, if we work on trying to be faithful and loving and knowing God, we're going to find ourselves looking more like him and less like the world. So here's some really good news. This is really good news. Love and faithfulness are fruits of the Holy Spirit. Love and faithfulness are fruits of the Holy Spirit. So God put his spirit in us when we believed, and he has there to empower us to live out the life he's calling us to live. So that's really good news. See, on our own, trying to produce love and faithfulness will be a frustrating experience on our own. But uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit, it's going to be a fruitful experience. So how do we do it? How do we do this in the power of the Holy Spirit? So Galatians 5 tells us to keep in step with him. Keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Stay connected to the vine. Abide in Jesus. That's John 15. Um, So that's really about resting in him. And that all flows out of our knowing God, which is the third thing we're supposed to be known for, knowing him. So that's kind of where we want to start. And that goes back to the prayer closet. It starts in a prayer closet. It starts with opening up the word and reading about who he is, you know, uh, going over his names, what he's called, realizing and remembering and believing he is the, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So he is always going to be that way. And then we put all of our hopes in him. Every day we put all of our hopes in the God who is all of these things that the word tells us he is. And then we leave the closet. And we go out into the world and we start to try to walk out that faith. Faith in what we know, believing God to be. This is not just head knowledge. This is is faith for your hands, faith for your feet, faith uh, for your mouth. And you realize you're living under this easy yoke and the Holy Spirit is working in you. And all of a sudden you know God better. And when you know God better, you trust him more in your daily life. As he shows you that he is who he says he is in, in in his word. So then we be sort of become, we become known for that. You know, if you're walking by faith at work, you're going to be known for that. If you're walking by faith at school, you're going to be known for that. In your neighborhood, if you're walking by faith, you know, I, I truly believe this. If you if know your neighbors and they know you know God, they'll come to you for prayer. They'll come to you when they're in trouble. They'll show up at your door. Say, I need help. Why? Because you know God. I don't. Help me. That's pretty awesome. So our knowledge of God increases as we live our life the way that he would live it if he were in our shoes. That's another way we know him. And so we kind of walk in his footsteps in our lives. So when we serve like he did, uh, especially when uh, people we don't want to serve, we know him better. When, when we uh, submit to people like he did, especially when they're people that don't deserve our respect, we know him better. Anytime you walk in Jesus' footsteps and do what he did, we know him, him better. So when you're, when you're abandoned, when you're betrayed, when you are harmed, when you walk in those footsteps, we know our Savior better. 
just like you would know me better if you came and did a week with me. Find out what Hosea 4 does to me. <laughs> you know, uh, you know me better. So it's, it's the same with the Lord. Our intimacy and knowledge of him grows when we walk in his footsteps. So all of this leads us to cooperating with God in our lives. And then we find uh, ourselves being known for faithfulness and love. It's really not an intentional thing. It's a, it's, it's a consequence of knowing God and it flows flows out of us. And then as all of us are doing this together, that's how we become known for that as a church when we all do it together. So faithfulness, love, walking by faith, knowing God. Is there any conflict there in your life with God for what he wants us to be known for? Confess, correct, and cooperate. You'll be glad that you did. Now, God moves on from his problem with character, and he reveals another conflict. He has a contention with the clergy. So let's read verses 4 to 11. Yet let no one contend and let no one accuse, for with you is my contention, O priest. You shall stumble by day, the prophet also shall stumble with you by night, and I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also will forget your children. The more they increase, the more they sinned against me. I will change their glory into shame. They feed on the sin of my people. They are greedy for their iniquity. And it shall be like people, like priests. I will punish them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. They shall eat, but not be satisfied. They shall play the whore, but not multiply. Because they have forsaken the Lord to cherish whoredom, wine, and new wine, which take away the understanding. So I warned Pastor Shane that uh, Hosea was coming for us in in this chapter. I should have sent an email to the elders since they're just pastors without paychecks. Um, But God has a problem with the priests in Israel because they were the ones who were responsible to lead the people into a deeper knowledge of God. They were the ones that had that responsibility. They were the ones that had the responsibility to make sure that people knew the law of God uh, uh, among among them. And so um, they were the ones who were supposed to model for them the community that God was wanting in verses 1 to 3, those, those three things. And so it says they had forgotten the word of God. They had forgotten the law of God. And then a little bit later it said they had also forsaken the Lord. Uh, And they did that in that they were encouraging people in their sin. And most likely that was, you know, be really by just being silent about it, not talking about it, um, allowing it to happen. And the reason they were doing that is because they were benefiting from it. As sin grew in the, in the people's lives, that, their need for forgiveness grew. So that meant more sacrifice and more offerings, which all came to the temple and the priests, you know, used that to live on. So they became greedy for iniquity. They were trading knowing God for pleasure, the pleasures of food and sex and so on. And so God goes to the place of responsibility for accountability, the spiritual leaders in the land. So in our day, being a priest is a lot different than it was in, in Israel's day. But there are some, some similarities in that God holds us accountable um, to teach the people. And James, he warned in ver, uh, chapter, one, or chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should be, become teachers in the church, for 
uh, we who teach will be judged more strictly. And so I won't speak for Pastor Shane or the elders, but I take that pretty seriously, you know, for myself. And I, you know, I did not choose to become a pastor. Uh, this, is, this, is, this was not on my list of career choices when I was going to college. Um, in fact, my dad told me one time in the kitchen when I was a teenager, hey, I think you make a good pastor. And <laughs> I just sort of said, ha, and I turned around and walked out, not in a million years comment. Well, here we are a million and one years later, and I'm pastoring. Um, so I guess just be careful, you know, what you say. Um, I... I I count it one of the highest privileges in my life to be able to proclaim God's word and encourage you to to live it out. I mean, it's one of the highest privileges of my life. And I also get to shepherd you, which I struggle to do in my introvertedness. You know, but I know God calls me to love you, to know you, to take care of you, to um, pray for you, uh, to bind you up. um, You know, all those things to go after you if you wander. Um, to show you what faithfulness and love and walking by faith looks like, um, all of those things. And so since, since he's called me to do this, um, I'm accountable to him for it, and then I'm accountable to you uh, for it. And so I'm working to not forget the word of the Lord or forsake Jesus by turning this church into something for personal gain. Okay, so um, I take this charge to Timothy very personally uh, from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. It says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. I mean, I just, you know, just hear that. It's right. God's speaking right to me when I hear that. Um, so, you know what? We're in this, in this time that, that this is describing. Um, and the Bible is definitely out of season. Uh, it, it has been for a while, but I think it continues to, to be more and more. So I just wanted to, you know, proclaim to you what I believe about this book. Okay? This book is my authority. You know, it it is God's word. It was breathed out by God. It's his word to us. And so because of that, it is my role as his follower, he is my God, to try to live this out the best that I can. And I don't do that perfectly any day of my life, but it's my heart. It's my authority. This book is perfectly perfect. Okay, so it it is inerrant, meaning there are no errors in it. And it is infallible, meaning that we will never, ever find any errors in it. So it's perfectly perfect. It is also sufficient for our lives. This is all we need to lead someone to Jesus. This is all we need to know how to live our lives following Jesus. I really believe if there was not a single book that you read in your entire life except the Bible, you would end up living a full and satisfying life that blessed God and blessed 
other people. This book is sufficient. It is a sure foundation, this book. It it will not fail you. God's word will not return void in your life. You can count on it. It is history. It is reliable. It is future. It is living and active. It is powerful. It is eternal. And I don't ever want to do a day forgetting the word of God. And I don't want you to do one either. So working to not forget the word. Also to not forget the Lord. Here's another charge to Timothy that hits home in my life. I, I cling to this one too. Second Timothy chapter 6 verses 11 to 16. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, which in chapter 6 you have to read the first 10 verses to know what these things are, but it's love for money and material stuff like that. Flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Jesus Christ who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will display at the proper time He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal eternal dominion. Amen. And so I read that and I hear Jesus is coming back. I mean, he's going to come back. And when he comes back, he's not coming like he did the first time when he came in humility. He's going to come back in honor and glory and power. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. It's a promise. He's, he's coming back. And I don't want to live a single day of my life forgetting that. And so everything I do in my life, I want to do unto the Lord, unto him. I mean, he is the reason to flee the trappings of the world. I mean, he is the reason we're here today. He's the reason I'm standing up here and doing this. He's the reason we open the door and turn on the lights and make sure there's heat. He is the reason that we sing the songs and pray the prayers and preach the message and then go out and live. If he is not the reason, we need to stop what we're doing and do something else. If he is not the reason, then all we got left here is us. It's just, you know, trying to be good, do good, look good. That's all we got left, and that's death because that's legalism. All, all, All of us need to remember that we don't want to forget the Lord. He is the risen Savior. Jesus is alive. And I certainly don't want to be in contention with him by making this work about us or about me and forgetting him. So it's, it's our heart, it's our conviction uh, to do that. Now, of course, my life is more than Sunday mornings, even though I only work one day a week. You know, I know. <laughs> so I hear, I hear that charge to Timothy, flee the world and pursue things. Pursue things that are beyond my ability to attain. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, determination, and gentleness. And live out this eternal life that you've been given. You flee, and pursue, flee the world, pursue those things. And I'll tell you what, it's tempting. It's tempting to pursue things that the world has to offer that make this world and life a little more pleasurable to live. And things that I can attain in my own skill and strength and things that he's given me. Um, It's tempting to pursue those things, but to do that would mean I have to forget the Lord. I'd have to forget that he put me in this spot. I didn't choose it. 
And so God has entrusted to me and to, to Shane uh, and to the elders here this very great responsibility. And I, I confess this morning that I struggle to carry it out. I surely think there are better pastors than Greg. So I'm glad you're here. <laughs> so what does this have to do with you? Is this a part of the Bible you can just skip because it's to the, to the priests? Well, first of all, let me just say, we covet your prayers. So you could pray for your pastors, you know, that we could shepherd you as unto the Lord. Pray that we would continue to stay firm in our convictions about how to do church and how to make it about Jesus. And that we would be quick to confess and correct and cooperate with God when it becomes something else. Or even if just part of it is. Because uh, we don't we don't want to do that. Um, but the second thing is, I would say to you, as Paul said to the Corinthians, follow me as I follow Christ. Now, follow me as I follow Christ. You guys realize you're just in training for the ministry right now, right? I mean, we're going to be a kingdom of priests, every single one of you. You're all going to be part of the part of the clergy. So ask yourself a question: What do you believe about this book? Is it your authority? Is it in your mind without error that you'll be able to trust it the rest of your life? That you can count on it? That it's power? That it's eternal? What do you believe about this book? And how does that show up in in your life? Don't forget the word of God. And don't forget the King of kings and Lord of lords because life is found in him. Life is found in him. So what are you pursuing in your life? Do you do your work as unto the Lord? Do you do school unto the Lord? Do you plan and pray and play as unto the Lord? Is there any place in your life that you're forgetting the Lord? Any place at all. You know, it's, it's easy. It's really easy to do that. It's easy to make this life all about living it up in this life. It's easy. It's easy to make our religious life, things that we do, void of, an, of a living Savior. Take the power right out of it. There's a lot of that going on. Don't forget the living Lord. So even though... You're not clergy today. You might find that there's some places in your life God has some contention with you. I say confess, correct, and cooperate. Resolve your conflicts with love. You will be glad you did. Now the rest of the chapter, God reveals a clash with their conduct. So, verses 12 to 19. Let's read these. My people inquire of a piece of wood, and their walking staff gives them oracles. For a spirit of whoredom has led them astray, and they have left their God to play the whore. They sacrifice on the tops of the mountains and burn offerings on the hills, under oak, poplar, and terebinth, because their shade is good. Therefore, your daughters play the whore, and your brides commit adultery. I will not punish your daughters when they play the whore, nor your brides when they commit adultery. For the men themselves go aside with prostitutes and sacrifice with cult prostitutes. And a people without understanding shall come to ruin. Though you play the whore, O Israel, let not Judah become guilty. Enter not into Gilgal, nor go up to beth And swear not as the Lord lives. Like a stubborn heifer, Israel is stubborn. 
Can the Lord now feed them like a lamb in a broad pasture? Ephraim is joined to idols. Leave him alone. When their drink is gone, they give themselves to whoring. Their rulers dearly love shame. A wind has wrapped them in its wings, and they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifices. So God starts off this part uh, saying, I've got a problem with your conduct, your spiritual and your moral conduct. Now, it's one thing to go to a neighboring country and see them bowing down to idols, people who don't have any idea who the living Lord of life is, you know. Uh, But it's another thing when God's people who know that their God is alive, who have evidence that he is with them in their midst and have a history with him of rescue and, you know, guidance and protection and all of that. When they go and bow down to an idol, giving themselves in this idol worship. And Hosea kind of makes fun of the practice there, calling the idols pieces of wood and a stick. You know, Israel was committing adultery uh, with other man-made gods. Now, the mention of mountains and hills and trees was, a, was the practice of pagan nations to go to the high places in the country um, to, do their, to do their worships, to do their worship, their sacrifices to the, uh, to the gods. And so when you read like the kings and the chronicles and talk about the kings, they did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, except they didn't get rid of the high places. That's what... Uh, this this is talking about over in India when I was there I think last year we went by uh, some mountainous regions and there was a mountain and there were shrines on top of the mountains so it's still going on in pagan places in the world you could also find those shrines underneath trees and that's presumably to give the God a comfortable place to exist and to give worshipers a comfortable place to worship so verse 13 It finishes up calling out this moral misconduct that was going on, saying the unmarried daughters and the the newly married brides are giving themselves in sexual relationships that, you know, is just totally ignoring any uh, any importance of marriage or the boundaries of marriage. And then in verse 14, God says he's not going to punish them because the men themselves are giving themselves to prostitutes in and outside these shrine shrines and and uh, uh, of Baal that are all over over the place now what that's telling us is that that the women were getting passed they were getting passed on the punishment uh, because there was an injustice in the social structure of of the of the land okay so if a man had sexual misconduct it was just kind of overlooked but if a woman did she got stoned Okay, and so if you remember the woman who was caught in adultery, you know, and they brought her to Jesus in John chapter 8, and the crowd was ready to stone her, and they asked Jesus, who, you know, um, where was the man? <laughs> where was the guy in that scenario? So that's what God is calling out. He's calling out this injustice that existed between the sexes then, and I promise you he would still do that today. So he wraps this up by saying the people without understanding will come to ruin. Um, now, you know, when we, here we are, we're looking back, we have hindsight, and we can see all these things that God's people are, are doing wrong. We can see them, but they couldn't see it. And it's hard for us to understand that. How could they not see it? But remember, this didn't happen overnight. This happened over about 800 years, you know, of, of success and failure, trying to, to follow God and, and mixing with the other, other nations around them. And so their leaders aren't doing the right thing. Their priests aren't telling them that they're doing wrong. Their neighbors are doing the wrong thing, so it must be okay. 
And so this is how um, they're acting. Now, the rest of the chapter is about God trying to get them to see it. He's working with them. He's loving them, trying to get them to a place of what we call conviction. So he's working for conviction. In verse 15, he works on their pride to stir that conviction up. He says, Israel played the whore. Judah, you stay away from them. Don't go to Gilgal. You know, what was that? What did that mean? Well, Gilgal was a place where the, um, it was a, a historic place in Israel's history. That was where they camped out before they took down the walls of Jericho. So this is a great place in their history and in Israel. They took pride in that. And uh, here God is saying to Judah, hey, don't, don't go there. You know, and then this don't go to Beth Haven thing. Beth Haven meant house of a wicked, wickedness. And Hosea was using that instead of saying Bethel, which means house of God. So God, through Hosea, is saying the house, the temple, which was like the place you went to worship God, that's the place you're supposed to go, the holy place on earth. That's really a house of wickedness. They took pride in it. God's saying, no, no, it's awful. And then he's saying, don't swear as the Lord lives. That was kind of an, a, a pride thing for, for the people of God to say, you know, in their, in their promises that they made. As the Lord lives, I'm going to do this. And Judah, he's saying, Judah, don't do that. Now, God is speaking to Judah, but he wants Israel to hear. Okay, so Israel, they thought they were the favorite child. They had all these things. But now here God is saying, hey, Judah. I'm, he's seemingly giving his approval to Judah to try to stir up conviction in Israel so that they would see what they were doing. He's saying, hey, younger Sib, don't be like your brother. You know, that kind of thing. So in verse 16, God uses a picture, a symbolism, that really every Israelite would be familiar with. He says they were like a stubborn cow. Stubborn cow. Um, So being an agricultural society, most Israelites had either dealt with a stubborn cow or seen a stubborn cow. And so they knew that you were not taking a stubborn cow anywhere it did not want to go. And so God's saying, hey, you guys are being stubborn like this cow. How can I treat you like a lamb out in the field that's just can roam and be free and prancing around and all happy and everything's good? How can I treat you like that? In verse 17, he's calling, calling them a couple things, idolaters and hedonists. So God is just speaking truth to them. This is who you are. This is how I see you because of what you're doing. I was wondering, would that be like calling a Democrat a Republican or like saying, you know, you're kind of liberal or you're kind of conservative. You know, I don't know if that's stirring up trouble any which way, but God's trying to stir it up. He's trying to stir up some trouble, trying to get them to see this is really how you're reacting. And then verse 18, he's telling them what's going to happen to them if they keep going. The shame that you love now is going to be something you're ashamed of later. A warning. He's warning them to stir conviction. Now, conviction is what God uses to get us moving forward to change, to resolving these conflicts that we have with him. He uses his Holy Spirit to do that. That's one of the roles of the Holy Spirit. And so when we have the Holy Spirit in us and we're reading the word and something speaks to us and we we feel, we can feel that conviction in our hearts that something isn't right with him. You might hear it when you sit under the preaching of the word. You might hear it when you are being told something from another believer that's truth that God wants you to hear. You might feel uh, convicted. And sometimes we get pictures, you know, of uh, this is really how you're living. You know, we, we see it. 
um, in, in our life. God shows it to us. And so long as we've got this conduct that we're clashing with his will, he is going to work in this, in this con- conviction mode with us because he wants us to look like him. He wants us to have this love relationship that's free of conflict. So Jerry Wilson, he was trying to get a TV wire through the wall in his fir- of the first floor of his house. And so he had this idea. He goes up to his second floor, and he takes his wife's alarm clock, and he puts a string on it, and he drops it down an air vent into the wall, and he's thinking, I'm going to lower it down. He set the alarm 10 minutes later. He's going to lower it down, and then I'll know exactly where I need to put a hole in the wall to bring a TV wire down to my first floor. So he puts it in there. Everything's going along fine, and then all of a sudden the string goes light. So the alarm clock dropped off the string into the wall. No problem. He goes down, alarm goes off, puts the hole in the wall, runs the wire, everything's good, except he left the alarm clock in the wall. And so the next night, the alarm goes off. His wife and they're sitting there, and it's going off for about a minute, and the next night, went off. And the next night, it went off for 13 years. He went off. Once a, once a night on the first floor of their home, everywhere, any room in the house, you could hear the alarm going off, you know. And then finally he says it just got to be too much of a burden and I dug the clock out of the wall. Well, that alarm, it, it can be like God's conviction in our lives. See, God has dropped in the Holy Spirit into us uh, when we believed And he's there to convict us of things that aren't right uh, with him. And it helps us us to see our lives the way God is seeing our lives. And it's the first step in getting toward resolving these conflicts. And so ask yourself the question, do I have any alarms going off in my life that I've just been ignoring? You know, that Jerry, he was just thinking the batteries are going to die in that clock. I don't have to dig it out of the wall. It's going to go away someday. Is that how you're treating God's conviction in your life, about any area of your life? You know, you read the word and the subject comes up and alarm. You see it on TV, alarm. You see it in social media, alarm. You get defensive. You start throwing out excuses. Listen, conviction is not guilt. It is not a fear of punishment. Conviction is not even knowing right from wrong. It's not even having shame over your sin. Unbelievers have all of those things. Conviction is a loathing of your sin. It is a hatred of it because of what it does to the heart of love, the one who loves us. And when we love him, we want, to fix, we want things to be right. And so conviction is the Holy Spirit leading us to that those steps of confession, correcting, and cooperating with him. So let's have Pastor Shane come back up and and Butch. Confess, correct, and cooperate. So what are you known for? Faithfulness, love, and knowing God? It's not any of those three things. There's, there's work to do. Have you forgotten the word of God in your life? Have you forsaken the Lord somewhere, some area? I got, I got three things for you to do today. Confess.
correct and cooperate. You'll be glad that you did.